Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill, shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me by Harvest House Publishers. Each week, we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's essay is I'll Never Be the Same by Bruce Marciano. Bruce Marciano is a professional actor, author, and speaker. As an actor, Bruce has appeared in numerous films and television shows, including L.A. Law, Murder, She Wrote, and Columbo. He is most widely known for his portrayal of Jesus in the visual Bible film, The Gospel According to Matthew. As a speaker, Bruce has been privileged to see thousands of lives deeply affected as he shared the passion, joy, and reality of Jesus. He can be found at brucemarciano.com. Let's begin. I'll Never Be the Same by Bruce Marciano. Actor Bruce Marciano portrayed Jesus in the Visual Bible's production of Matthew. What I'm about to read is an excerpt from the journal he kept while making the film. February 9. I hung on the cross yesterday, more when I have time, but simply I never began to understand what Jesus did for me until yesterday. I still gained only a glimpse of the reality, the absolute subjection, submission to horror for me. Every believer should wear a crown of thorns and hang on a cross for 10 seconds. They would never be the same. And I can't help but feel that every non-believer would accept Christ on the spot if he did the same. I have never felt so alone so naked, so ugly, so emotionally bare, and I was just play-acting, dipping my toe into the experience of the cross. What he did for us, he chose it. People were horrified by what they saw in my makeup and demeanor. I could see people all around me, disgusted, lying on the cross while people were huddling over me, being force-fed vinegar, seeing huge quantities of blood on my arm and on the ground. I looked at my arm and wept. Bruce read scripture to me, and I wept. Waiting for lights to be hung, I wept. The Roman soldiers beat me, and I wept. Sitting alone in my loincloth, I wept. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and I wept. And as the stories come in from crew and onlookers, I'm discovering many wept. What he did for us. Lives will never be the same. Mine will never be the same. Hanging on the cross 
It was awful beyond description. That ends the essay, I Will Never Be the Same, as written and submitted by Bruce Marciano and included in the book, What the Cross Means to Me. Now, accompanying this essay is a poem or a saying by Oswald Chambers, which says, Every doctrine that is not embedded in the cross of Jesus will lead astray. And the photo, the image accompanying this essay is the dream, which is a vertical image of the cross with the cross covered at the base with a large mound of several feet of dirt, possibly as high as five feet. It is very early in the morning, and there was a glow that you kind of see on foggy mornings as the water droplets begin to evaporate. The mound around the cross is there because the cross had just been moved to a new location, moved from where I shot it for years to a temporary location before its final home at the north end of the football field. Football field? Yes, you see, the cross that I had found was put there by a school organization that wanted to build a new campus. They broke ground about a year or so into my shooting, and the second year of shooting, this cross was filled with amazing surprises, meaning I'd arrive and find that the area around the cross had changed. Sometimes there'd be construction equipment nearby, like shipping containers or caterpillar tractors that I could climb on to acquire new angles. Images like the Covenant, the one with the rainbow, I'm standing on a two-story caterpillar tractor, allowing me to capture the valley floor with the cross in it, an image that would be impossible from the ground level of the cross. And in the book, What the Cross Means to Me, you can see examples of the diversity Images shot before they broke ground, like the Focus, Quest, and the Rose, and those shot after, like the Chasm, the Climb, and images used to accompany this week's essay, The Dream. And I find it appropriate, based on this essay that we just read, that no matter what changes and challenges we face in our life, in society, and in human history, the story, the purposes, and the impact of the cross stays the same, meaning While everything around the cross in our life is in flux, constantly changing, the cross never moves. And it will not be moved even while the tectonic plates of our lives keep shifting. The bedrock of Golgotha is sure, steadfast, and sanctified. When events in your life begin to shake your footing, your foundation, and even your faith, then return to the safety of the cross. Maybe not like I did by spending time in an actual 12-foot-high white wooden cross, but as I do now by imagining myself at Calvary on that afternoon in my meditative prayer time. And if not to that point of, of imagination, or at least take time to read the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and the verses in the epistles of its impact on our right relationship with God. And then watch how your faith strengthens and how your resolve to go through whatever you face with peace, joy, and love. In addition to reading the biblical references and meditation, you can read any of the hundreds of books written about the crucifixion or one of thousands written about the life and ministry of Jesus. Or you can read devotionals about the Bible. Or you can view sacred art, including iconography, to inspire you in new ways. And yes, even imagery like mine of the cross or of nature in what I call verspirations, 
which can help turn up the pilot light of faith into a fuller flame. What are Verspirations? Well, as you'll see if you visit Magi Cross on Instagram, they are images of the cross or nature in that I meditate upon to select what I get inspired to select as an appropriate or most appropriate verse that matches that particular composition. Then I take time to pick a font and a placement of the verse onto the image. I truly find evangelistic joy in creating and sharing these verspirations. Now, the iconography of the early church and even icons created in these modern times is something I also like to view to inspire me and and recharge my inspirational intentions, while at the same time learning something new about the story of the scene the artist is retelling. Iconographers spend years learning the specific rules to this type of sacred art, rules that are not taught in traditional drawing or painting. The trained artists fast, they really, really fast and pray as they embark on the long journey of the next scene that they will paint, the next story they will retell. I have a book at home in my library that is just icons and poems leading up to and through the birth of Christ through the backstory of the light of the world. It was impactful enough to view each image, but each scene means more when I view it through the poetry accompanied for and about each image. And then in the back, in some sort of a glossary of artist notes referring to each scene, then wow, I began to notice things in the scene I had overlooked, but that now felt like revealed truth jumping from the page into my psyche. And yes, there are other art forms like music, you stop and think about it, as I say it now, to think of some of your favorite Christmas songs. I wonder which one just popped in your head. And the impact of some of these Christmas songs. Music can be a powerful force in the direction, dedication, and depth of our faith. I was a young adult throughout the 1990s, and my faith was bolstered by what was called Christian contemporary music. While my mom, while I was growing up as a kid, always had on, and she always leaned on worship music, and she had it on all the time. Songs that you would play at a church service, songs that you sing to God, even a lot of Jewish-sounding Christian worship music, from lots of cassette tapes, from labels like Maranatha and Sparrow. But for me, I was drawn to soft rock and gospel, groups like the Imperials, Petra, Newsboys, singers like Kim Hill, Keith Green, Michael Card, the Talbot brothers and later John Michael Talbot, and Stephen Curtis Chapman. Our church was a beautiful melting pot of races and cultures, and I soon learned about gospel music like Commissioned, The Winans, Take Six, and Andre Crouch. Then there was a number of crossover artists I liked. Amy Grant, Harry Livgren, keyboardist, Phil Keggy, one of the world's best guitarists, if not the best guitarist, Phil Driscoll, a trumpeter, and Philip Bailey, a soprano. And I really liked the deep lyrics and rock style of The Call. But back then, I don't recall getting sucked into current events or news or talk radio. I simply immersed myself in Christian music during the week between church services. That said, as a young photographer, I would get media passes, and I shot a number of Christian artists. Some of the singers and groups that I shot are Russ Taff, Amy Grant, The Winans, B.B. and C.C. Winans, Phil Driscoll, Benji Cortez, Gladys Knight, Carmen, Donnie McClurkin, Patti LaBelle, and Keith Franklin. Suffice it to say, I really 
was into that form of art as a young adult. And in hindsight, I'm sure that listening to the lyrics all the time affected me by creating and solidifying new synapses and dendrite connections of faith in my brain and soul, which undoubtedly strengthened my spirit as I went through the cares of life. By the time I lost my wife, I was 30, and I had more than a decade of immersion in not just lyrics, but Christian constructs and spiritual truths through that art to lean on. In contrast, what effect do you think listening to secular music has? Does it reinforce right or righteous thinking, consciously or unconsciously? Is it not true that most of them encourage a lowering of moral standards? And don't the majority of lyrics in popular songs of the day glorify bad lifestyles? Being high, hooking up with someone significant or not significant, and then losing them, getting hurt by them, or them running off with their best friend? Okay, that'd be country music. My point is lyrics, when heard over and over again, get picked up by the subconscious. And you could be unknowingly or subconsciously creating thought processes. Or for lack of a better phrase, adopting the stinking thinking of the secular world. Okay, I, I, I realize I must sound like a prude in the way I just described it. And no, I'm not saying that any particular song should not be listened to. I'm, I'm talking about the 10,000 foot biggest picture view that I have of some secular artists an artist I really like. I mean, I do listen to some non-Christian songs, but I don't go on autopilot. I actually listen to the lyrics. My pastor used to say, and I'm sure he got it from someone else, there's a God-shaped place in the heart of every man that only God could fill. For me, listening to godly music helps enable that process. Recently, I've been in, like the last year or so, I've been in a John Michael Talbot phase. His body of work is huge. Very huge, going back to the 1970s. And I listen to him literally every day, as I have every song from all his albums in my worship playlist. Currently, I'm working through them and selecting some for a slideshow playlist. Meaning, I feel led to make videos, videos that couple lyrics, like I find in some songs like The Beginning, Lilies of the Field, The Pleiades and Orion, and Brother, Son, and Sister Moon, with my imagery of nature and or crosses. Currently, I have one video, one, on YouTube and on my website. It is a slideshow of the crosses with a Barbara Streisand rendition of I Wander As I Wander. I Wonder As I Wander is considered a Christmas song, but I don't. I see it more as an Easter song. The time willing, and more importantly, Lord willing, I can make more videos like this soon. Pray for me in this new application of my inspirational art capabilities. But getting back to the subject of art, sacred art, and specifically music, there are also songs that unite us as a society, seasonally, which is what I mentioned a few moments ago, this broad spectrum of Christmas songs, Christmas music, that move the heart, some like Silent Night, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O Come, All Ye Faithful, and even the song Linus highlighted in the Peanuts Christmas special, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. For me, I love the little drummer boy that used the only thing he had to give, which was playing the drums. I relate to this story as I realize I am nobody special. I am just a guy with a camera who has nothing more than imagery to help make the gospel story a little more compelling. And then there are songs like Oh Holy Night that often give me goosebumps. I heard it performed by the brother of my late wife when he was only 16 as he performed it before a church audience. It hit me so hard that I began to cry, and at the end of the song, I looked around 
and no one else was unable to stop from crying. To this day during Christmas season, when I hear a rendition of that song, and when it says, fall on your knees, as it leads to the night divine crescendo, I am overwhelmed with the sacredness of that night when the incarnation happened, when God chose to take human form to initiate the plan of salvation for me and for you. And then there are movies, movies about the Bible, movies about the life of Christ, movies about his birth, his ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection and ascension. These too help keep me meditating on and re-inspired by. You know that feeling when you stumble upon those old photo albums in a box of family photos in the closet or in the garage, and you find yourself distracted from your original task, going through and dwelling on the images for a great deal of time? What happens at moments like this? We all of a sudden remember what we forgot. The people in the photos and the memories of certain events were still in our brain, yet we let them fade into a hard-to-access part of our memory banks. And the photos help us reach into those long-lost part of the mental filing cabinet and pull them out for us to re-feel those memories with special people, some who have passed. That, to me, what biblical-based movies are. They remind us of what is important, reminds us of what we forgot. It reminds us what was covered over by the layers of dust, dust defined as cares of cares and stress and pain of everyday living. And not just fictional accounts of the biblical events, but I enjoy non-fictional ways to share the gospel. From the Narnia series to the Left Behind series of Jerry Jenkins and biographies of extraordinary and ordinary Christians, movies about Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, fictional biographies going back to the 1950s like the black and white version of St. Marcelino Panivino about a young boy raised by monks. Yes, even knowing it was fictional, I couldn't help but crying at the end. Then there are true autobiographies, like the one I watched about a medical doctor who is not only beautified, but named as an official saint by the Catholic Church. A doctor saint. And not from the early church, but from a hundred years ago. I'm referring to St. Dr. Jose Muscati of Italy, whose lifelong sacrificial dedication to treating the poor and his unwavering dedication to unconditional forgiveness shook me to my core. The ending has a double whammy that you will not see coming. I was dealing with you know, processing that first mind-blowing principle, that spiritual truth of his life, when the second spiritual truth, a spiritual result of the consequences of the doctor's right choices, hit me in the gut so hard I could not sit anymore. I clipped the leash on the dog and began walking the blocks around my home. I must have cried for an additional 10 minutes during that walkabout. I sense myself tearing up right now just recalling it. My point is movies have the ability to recalibrate, realign, refocus our perception of what our right relationship with God should be, which I reiterate during every episode of this devotional. And in the book essay, the, one, the first one, the one that I wrote, in that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross was the bridge allowing us to reconnect with the relationship with God. Or, the bigger picture of the good news of the gospel, it's the bridge allowing God to reconnect the right relationship with us. And in a reconnection to the essay of this episode's podcast and broadcast, which has been about art, sacred art, we focus on a movie I would highly recommend, the one Bruce Marciano portrayed Jesus in, 
the Gospel according to Matthew. In the essay, Bruce talks about how playing the role impacted him and the crew. But what were they doing, really? They were not participating in a real crucifixion, like a Civil War reenactment. In Civil War reenactments, they wear a costume, they use certain period pieces, and they play a part. For it to be effective, the characters have to imagine themselves as that person to really get into character. I mentioned on a previous broadcast that I reenacted once a scene like this once. Our church had a passion play, and I had the role of the good thief. And to start off, I had to resist the actors playing the Roman soldiers. I really fought them. I did not let them put me on that cross. But they forced me on it and hung me up 16 feet in the air. The thing that impacted me the most, hanging on that cross, was staring out at the crowd of people looking at me. It started in the front row and going back into where the crowd slipped into darkness. But my mind restitched them like a computer, and I could see the crowd continuing on almost seemingly forever. The impact that I had was the overwhelming sea of humanity that Jesus was dying for. Billions and billions of people across all of the history of humankind, more souls than I could ever imagine, and each one Jesus would have died for. He would have done it for you, even if it was just you. I resonate with the title of Bruce's essay, and I was never the same after being hung on the cross either. It all started with imagining, imagining myself actually being the thief and actually being there with God incarnate, allowing himself to be sacrificed for me. Just like Bruce imagined himself as Jesus and the Jesus on the cross, I commented at length over the last two broadcasts how violent, how gruesome, and how shameful the death Jesus allowed himself to be subjected to. And Bruce mentioned that every believer should wear a crown of thorns and hang on a cross, even if for 10 seconds. I would go one step further and suggest that each of us feel the weight of sin and vile and hurt that Jesus felt on him and in him. Problem is, most of us could not make it past one second. I know I couldn't. That said, I've often encouraged folks to make use of their imagination to place themselves at Calvary, to learn from the people and events that happened that afternoon. There's much to learn. And to take it a step further, take Bruce's advice and imagine yourself as Jesus and view the events and feel what he subjected to himself that day. Some denominations take it to a to excess, I understand, like walking on the Via de la Rosa on their knees or carrying the cross long distances or allowing themselves to be crucified as a way of penance. But no matter how detailed someone's imagination is, no one will ever come close to what Jesus willingly, selflessly, sacrificially, and actually subjected himself to. That said, Bruce came close, playing Jesus being crucified for a major motion picture. I find one entry in his journal to be quite interesting. It was a two-word sentence Bruce wrote when he said, I wept which mirrors the shortest sentence of the Bible. Jesus wept. I wonder if the pun was intended. I kind of doubt it. In his journal entry, Bruce described the sequence of events in his day, each one causing him to weep. That is true empathy. And while the 99.999% of us won't be able to truly relate, we can use art as a way of staying aware of the sacrifice of Jesus and the overall story of the gospel plan through sacred art. It keeps our sympathetic sensitivities active, and in some case, when something artistic really hits us, it can even trigger our empathetic sensitivities. So the theme of this week's episode is immerse yourself as best you can in sacred art. 
It could be movies. It could be the written word, either fiction or nonfiction. Devotional, blogs, podcasts. It could be visual like paintings, drawing, or photography. But honestly, even artistic renderings of nature scenes is sacred art to me. It speaks to the creator. And it is my favorite subject matter, aside of the cross collection, uh, to keep creating. Just a few nights ago, I captured a sweet sunset on my late mother's birthday. It was a nice night that allowed good memories to pass up in and through me. As I alluded to a bit earlier, I have been in the habit of taking a nature image and writing on them an appropriate scripture. And I use that via text and on Instagram to share with people. I discovered there are groups of people on Facebook that have, in some cases, millions of followers in the group who focus on this type of art, a mixture of scriptures and imagery. And yes, there are music, many genres of Christian music. And while I'm not a prude, I do enjoy lots of different styles. My favorite non-Christian style is jazz. You know, the classical jazz from Thelonious Monk, Stan Getz, Vince Caraldi, uh, or Latin jazz like Cal Tahater, Afro jazz like Dorothy Ashby. But even then, in a roundabout way, it is a pleasant way to celebrate God's creation, listening to his creations create music. The point here is Colossians 3.2 says, encourage it encourages us to keep our mind on things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 2 2 says, Be united in spirit, keeping on purpose in one mind, one in spirit, and one in mind. Philippians 4 7 says, Guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So, all I'm saying is, for me, I focus on Christian music. As I just mentioned, I do listen to some jazz from time to time, but most times of most days, I'm listening to Christian music. And it helps me have a less stressed and more peaceful day than when I listen to secular music or um, the news, for example. <laughs> so I find it easier to live 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing when it helps me to stay heavenly minded from a song that I may have just listened to. It keeps me humble singing songs about mercy or variations of the Jesus prayer song, which goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinful one. I know of over 10 different songs that sing that same verse completely differently. So my point is that um, it is hard to fall into pride, dwell on sinful thoughts, or get angry about current events when your heart and mind is stayed on Christ. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? Or have you been drifting in a mode of dwelling worldly things? I suggest you meditate on the paradigms of this devotional. Because it removes all possible fear, doubt, and insecurity. It allows you to choose God's will without overthinking it. To start up a conversation with that person in line instead of wondering if you should. To be aware of the possibility of divine appointments all around us. And acting on it when prompted by the Holy Spirit and not overthinking. Knowing that the truth of the gospel is that the worst case result of any scenario is the best case outcome for us. So what do you have to lose? Share the gospel. Now, if you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate on what he did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts of the Bible or movies like The Passion of the Christ. Listen to music like the one you'll find on K-Love Radio. Because if you do, I am convinced that you will be grateful and you will thank him for his sacrifice. And you will ask Jesus to forgive you of those sins that you helped place on him and then ask him to dwell inside the newly cleaned out and healed portion of your heart today. And with that, go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Peace.
Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the images discussed, like this week's essay image, The Dream, along with other versperations, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Magi Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through my blog, then log on to magicross.com. That is M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com.